Hey all, welcome to Eat Drink Social. My name is Michael Moeller, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and the Go Social team. Go Social is a PR and social media marketing firm with offices in both Denver, Colorado, and Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. And if you have any questions and want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.goforthbesocial.com. Happy to be joined now by Samara Rivers in Atlanta, Georgia of the Black Bourbon Society. Samara, thank you so much for making some time to, to chat today. Thank you for having me. So right off the bat, in, in your own words, can you tell me about Black Bourbon Society and, and what that is? The Black Bourbon Society is an organization I started four years ago um, when I was you know, doing some uh, behind the scenes work with one of the brands in California. Um, and very quickly in doing this work, I realized that uh, there weren't a lot of direct consumer marketing events being catered towards an African-American consumership um, and so, or a consumer base. And so I started to, um, you know, kind of question like why, you know, what's, what, what are the target audiences that um, brands really rely on when they market their products? And um, it was very eye-opening to realize that we were actually excluded from that. Um, as you know, um, bourbon is something that is typically, you know, geared towards or, or has been stereotypically marketed towards uh, middle-aged white men, you know, who love whiskey. But in, you know, in our day and times, women are drinking whiskey, consumers of color are drinking whiskey, everyone drinks whiskey. Um, so really, we started Black Bourbon Society to show the industry that our demographic exists and that we um, are interested in learning more about the spirit and interested in engaging more with the brands about the spirit. How did you get into bourbon? Uh, my ex-husband used to drink bourbon. And um, <laughs> and um, I was a big wine drinker in my early 30s. And every time I would open up a bottle of wine, he would actually kind of snub his nose up at me and sip his bourbon. <laughs> so I started sipping bourbon with him as a way to try and get connected and, and you know, find, find a new form of bonding between the two of us. And folklore has it is that I fell in love with bourbon and fell out of love with him. Oh, so. <laughs> that's a funny way to put it. Um, you, yes. So you, so you touched on it a little bit in, in the intro there, but what was the aha moment for you about the lack of diversity in, in bourbon culture? Um, the, what was the aha moment for me? Yes, please. Um, it was really, again, I was planning these events and, um, and I really wanted to do a great job in planning these events in San Francisco. And I just asked the woman, I said, you know, um, how can I make these events more, um, you know, who, who am I making these events for? Actually, that was a question I asked. And she had just moved to San Francisco. She didn't um, have time to really answer my question. So she handed me her marketing deck. And I literally got a chance to read through the marketing directives for her company that she worked with. And that was an aha moment for me that, you know, African-Americans have often been pigeonholed into the urban demographic, which usually skews very young between the ages of 21 and, you know, 25, 26. It's more of a hip hop crowd, 
late night crowd, kind of like a quote unquote shut the club down type crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're often um, prom- they often promote uh, lower quality whiskeys to that or lower quality spirits to that audience. It's a gateway audience. Um, but outside of that, there was nothing that really spoke to African Americans outside of that age group. So Black Bourbon Society is um, an organization with a, it's a niche audience that um, our main demographic is between the ages of 35 and 65. We're professionals, entrepreneurs, teachers. Um, we are, you know, high level, um, um, hold high level positions within organizations, lawyers, all of that. So it's a more sophisticated, older, mature crowd with a higher level of discretionary income. And that definitely, you know, isn't something that is seen in the urban demographic. With your with your members, is that the same as an ambassador program, or is that separate? Um, no, we have members, and we also have ambassadors that act as um, as leaders in their cities. Um, since we are, we you know, we've got over seventeen thousand members across the country, mm-hmm. and even some overseas. And so we do have ambassadors in select cities and um, across the country that um, help to engage local um, fellowship and networking with members when we're unable to travel and get to their city. So what, what do those events look like typically? So the events that we do are fun. So <laughs> you should come and join us. Um, so we, uh, we have several events. We do uh, whiskey tastings. Some are whiskey tastings and dinner pairings. Some are networking social happy hours where we have a tasting booth, but we really explore with cocktails and have fun, really allowing the members to network and engage with one another. Um, we take trips to Louisville. So every year we take two trips to uh, Louisville and we explore the city and we also go and do some behind the scenes um, um have ex- behind the scenes experiences with the distilleries out in the countryside um so we we are bouncing around doing all sorts of things we bar hop sometimes we have fun that's, that's that sounds fun and like you said if, you, if you're in louisville then that's that's easy for me to get to um yeah. <laughs> uh so let, let's say you're you're just out with some friends by yourself, not not necessarily participating participating in an event like you just described, and you order like a, a, a some kind of bourbon neat, and maybe you're with some friends of friends who don't really know you that well. Like you said earlier, you kind of break that stereotype, uh, at least as far as like the the marketing perspective stereotype of the the the, the white uh, older male. Um, what what a do you ever get like a reaction to ordering a, a bourbon like that? Oh yes, I get reactions from the bartender, um, even to depending on who I'm with. If it's a gentleman who doesn't know me, um, I, we get all sorts of reactions um, just because they don't um, they don't assume that I drink whiskey the way that I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you know, it's I'm a black woman. I'm five two. And I'm like 150 pounds, so I'm 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 short and small. And I walk up to a bar and I ask for you know a really high quality drink. All sorts of assumptions immediately come to whomever I'm asking. They immediately come to that person first. Or am I be with someone who is drinking something that maybe 
cheaper or maybe free or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, I guess I need to step my game up and order something as fancy or as sophisticated as you are, you know? <laughs> and what, what kind of uh, what kind of drink would that be for you? Uh, what would my order be? Huh, it depends on what's on the shelf. But um, right now, I would say it would have to be like Elmer T. Lee. It's one of my favorite bourbons to drink out. Um, because I don't have that in my collection at home. Um, I'm really loving Hill Rock these days. Oh, if they have um, George T. Stagg, yeah. I'll go for that too. Okay. And when you first started off in, into the world of bourbon and, and whiskey, I guess, at large, what um, resources did you find helpful? Um, I did a lot of reading. I uh, love Michael Beach. Yep and Chuck Cattery and Fred Minnick. Those are who I consider to be the three wise men of whiskey. <laughs> and so I immediately started reading their books and um, got a chance to really understand the historical context, the scientific context, and just really the landscape of what bourbon, um, what, what bourbon was, is, and the production and all of that stuff. Um, I also joined uh, the United States Bartenders Guild, USBG, and I started to go to their whiskey tasting events that they held for bartenders, and you can join as an enthusiast, Um, and I, you know, because I didn't, I don't have any bartending experience, but I started going to those events and sitting in on the sessions given by the brand ambassadors. And just learning the technicalities of it, how to taste whiskey properly, what notes to look for, placement in the rickhouse, all of those things, um, you know, were at my fingertips, essentially. So I um, really started to uh, gain an appreciation and a quick understanding of the spirit from that. When you were first starting out, did any, um, did you find yourself gravitating towards any couple brands specifically? Um, in the beginning, I was a huge Booker's girl. I've always been high proof. High proof is my jam. Uh, but Booker's uh, was really, really my thing. So I love that. I love Knob Creek. Um, Maker's Mark, of course, is one of my favorites. So yeah, Jim Beam, Jim Beam Distillery, um, Beam Centauri, that was my first go-to. And then after that, it was Four Roses. Um, am I am I wrong? I'm gonna kind of pivot here um, from the drinking side to the production side. Um, am I wrong to say that there is a lack of diversity on the production side? Uh, you're absolutely right that there is a lack of diversity <laughs> in the production side. There's a lack of diversity throughout the whole entire industry, um, and so you know. This is a problem that the whiskey industry has had for a while that the industry is aware of, but also um, one that I think that they are finally willing to admit. And um, where there is diversity in production as far as like there's there's maybe diversity on the bottling line or like with the coopers or um, in some of the manual labor positions and the leadership roles in the head um, positions, especially, you know, when it comes to master distiller, there's no African-American master distiller in in this industry. Um, It's just laughing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you hear about the uh, the nearest green story that came out with Jack Daniels a couple weeks ago? 
Oh, yes. Um, how they're starting the distilling program. Yeah. And um, yes, which is fascinating. It's very timely um, to create a program like this. Um, and it's very exciting to, to see that, you know, this program is, um, this collaboration is happening. There's also, um, you know, Kentucky University is doing something with distillation and really working with diverse students to get them trained as well as KSU, Kentucky State is also doing something around this. So I feel like the future of our industry will be diverse, but as it states where it is today and where it was decades ago, absolutely, there was there was a total lack of it. But the trajectory of it, you're feeling optimistic about? Yes, and I, I, I totally do. And I feel like we're all headed in the same direction. So. You know, we, we have Black Purple Society that really does push the notion of brands um, really having genuine engagement with um, audiences, with uh, audiences of color, consumers of color. Um, and that our mission with BBS is to really push the way that the brands think about marketing to consumers. But we also have launched our nonprofit organization, which is Diversity Distilled, which plans, which is, you know, of course, working with brands to look internally within their corporate structures and helping them to fill roles with diverse talent as well. So everyone is all on the same page that diversity and inclusion must happen in this industry. And we're all doing our part to make it happen in this moment and in the future. And, and on every level of that. And on every level, especially with diversity distilled, because diversity distilled doesn't only look at it um, from the distillery perspective, but we look at it as a corporate structure. So Bean Centauri, for instance, has a legal department, an HR department, marketing departments, they've got procurement, they work with different vendors. So we're looking at all of the corporate structure that these brands kind of bubble up into and trying to find ways to be more inclusive and diverse in those as well especially at the executive leadership level. Moving on to the kind of marketing and social media side of things, um, over the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of a lot of brands take stance, uh, stances, mm-hmm. um, and, and some maybe not, uh, as it relates to the current protests in the US and really across the world um, with people of color. Mm-hmm. What whiskey brands stood out to you that may have been doing something right? Um, well, from the very beginnings, we've been um, paying close attention to this. And um, on that Tuesday, which was Blackout Tuesday, I only noticed two brands that really made a statement, and that was Maker's Mark and Kings County Distillery, which is out of New York. Hmm. Um, and there may have been a few other little handfuls, but the big, well-known brands that are what we consider leaders in this industry said nothing. Um, and it was very glaring and it was very disheartening to see, um, which prompted me, of course, to write um, our open letter. And you can find that on our Instagram page, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, we wrote an, um, an open letter to the industry saying, like, hey, where are you? We need you in this moment. Um, and throughout the course of the following week, brands really did come up and start to say um, and make statements. Um, three brands that really came out um, and said something strong for me um, and my perspective was uh, Smooth Ambler. Um, They came out and they said a statement that basically said like, you know, we are learning, we're listening, we want to be involved, we are showing our support and we are, um, you know, we want to do our part. 
um, to to show solidarity and to be more inclusive within our within our company. Um, Jim Beam Distillery, very honest and vulnerable statement, and they just said, "Like, look, we have a lot to learn, and we've got to learn it. We've got to catch up to speed in learning how to be more inclusive, how to be more supportive for um, for our consumers of color." And uh, we've got to learn how, to, how we can participate in the social discussion. They also did make a donation towards African-American-owned um, bartenders and restaurants. I mean, bars and restaurants. And um, finally, I think the best example um, has to be coming out of Brown Foreman, which has always had a strong diversity and inclusion initiative, um, especially for the past 10 years. Um, but they were afraid to really share their voice in this moment because they didn't want to come off as pandering. But they did come off and they did start to reveal some of the projects that they've always been working on to really promote diversity and, inclus and inclusion and to also help end systemic racism. So those three companies really did um, impress me and I was very proud of the industry as a whole for them really coming out. Even the KDA, which originally I had some issues with, um, and they pro the KDA really prompted me to write that letter. But even the KDA came out and finally said something and also has established a um, scholarship fund in Breonna Taylor's name. And I truly do appreciate them doing that. Um, you, don't, you don't have to name names, but were there any brands that just flat out disappointed you and, and still do to, to, you know, as we speak right now? You know, I try not to be petty, <laughs> so I have not gone back to do the tally of who has said what and who hasn't. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to um, stay in the moment of appreciating the, um, the brands that did step up and actually make a statement. So um, I'm sure as you know, I start to work with different brands and things start to come up across my radar, we can go back and check to see if they actually did something or not. Um, and that can be a launching pad for a discussion on how they can do that and I'm better in the future. But no, I haven't really noticed um, a brand that didn't say anything at all or that is still silent in this moment. So I, I uh, create a lot of content uh, for, for the day job. Um, for so on the on the social media side for for brands of all different kinds and you know i'm i'm a white guy in my late 20s um what what advice do you have for me as, as i create content as i strive to say the right things uh without actually having necessarily the 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 background and and just the the same um struggle i guess you could say my um, litmus test always is, is this coming from the right place? What is my intentions behind the work that I'm doing, the words that I am writing? Um, and then from there, it's how would I feel if this was being said about me? Am I offended by this? Am I sensitive? Does this make me sensitive? Um, does this make me feel isolated? And really, it's, it's time for us to be a little bit more empathetic and considerate in our writing and in our doings and our leadership and all of that. Um, and I think truly, if people just saw everyone for being genuine, honest human beings, we'd say a lot nicer things and we'd write a lot nicer things about anybody, no matter what color they were. Um, 
the social media influencer world is growing as well, of course. And, and I don't know if, if you have much um, experience in, in dealing with anybody on, on that side of social media, but um, I, I will say this just looking, I, I feel like there's a lack of diversity in influencer marketing. Do you have any opinion on that? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, totally being a lack of diversity in influencer marketing. But again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with diversity distilled and the work in making sure that um, organizations are inclusive internally. Because the, the truth be told is if there's no one who's diverse in the marketing departments or working in social media teams for these brands, then they're not going to be working with diverse social media audiences. They're only going to be working with the ones that they feel comfortable with, with the ones that they have relationships with. And that may not be someone of color. Um, you know, the thing about the bourbon industry is that it's, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a very exclusive family. You know, this, this industry is all about who you know. And, and so sometimes if all you know are people who look like you, then that's all the message is going to get out to as well. So I think, you know, as we're more inclusive and as as we begin to kind of open our reach and expand who we know in the industry, who we um, in, engage with and who we work with will also change as well. On a lighter note, um, are you active on any Facebook bourbon groups or like, you know, maybe some secret bourbon buy-sell trade groups? Um, so I'm member. I'm a member of all of them, but because we run our own, you know, private Facebook group like Bourbon Society, I don't say much, but I just uh, um, observe. That's the word I'll use. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, if do you have any? Are there any favorite bourbon groups that stick out to you? Um, just communities, I guess, because that's what it, that's what it is. It's it's a community. It's community. Some of them are, you know, some of the things that they say in these bourbon groups are outrageous. They're very not, they're not inclusive towards women. Um, definitely not people of color. Um, but one of my favorite bourbon groups outside of like bourbon society is the Houston Bourbon Society. And I love the leaders of that group. I love their audience. Um, when we did events in Houston, when we had our barrel pick released in Houston, all of the HBS showed up and bought all the bottles <laughs> and supported us. And in turn, we support them as well. So we've got a great allyship, friendship, and um, they just, they're just they just a great group of, uh, of folks there in Texas. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, I don't, I don't want to take up too much more of your time today, but is there anything, you know, in, in the future that you'd like to plug or, or, you know, contact information if somebody's interested in learning more? So, you know, we've gone virtual for 2020. Um, unfortunately, we missed our spring trip to Louisville and we're gonna miss our summer trip as well. So we're super bummed about that. But uh, we are doing some great dynamic uh, virtual programming that I'd love um, for everyone to join us on. And that is uh, every Wednesday we do a Whiskey Weekly where we interview a master distiller or a brand ambassador or a brand owner. Um, tonight, we're interviewing uh, the co-owner of Woodenville Bourbon. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. Um, and so we do that um, on through our um, our membership page, our Black Bourbon Society um, page on Facebook. And so that's Facebook slash group slash Black Bourbon Society. 
um, and it also goes on our YouTube channel. So if you miss tonight and you're not a chance, you don't get a chance to do it live, you can always go back to our YouTube channel. Um, please follow us on um, our Instagram at Black Bourbon Society. And uh, yeah, to find out more information about Black Bourbon Society, you can always go to our website, blackbourbonsociety.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate you having me. All right, everybody, that wraps up today's episode of Eat, Drink, Social. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share or maybe you know somebody that does, feel free to reach out to us. Thank you.